This evening, live at Radio Maria, we have Father Paul Grogan. Father Paul Gro- Father Paul Grogan is the parish priest of Mary Mother of God Parish in Bradford and former chaplain to Leeds Trinity University. Hello, Father Paul. Hello, it's lovely to be with you, Helena. Oh, lovely to have you. I am going to dilly-dally no more. The listeners and the microphone is all yours. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Just like to uh, make a a few reflections uh, about... Um, preparing for exams and what that does to us, especially when we're young, and um, and how God is at work uh, in this process. With a view, please God, to helping uh, some young people who are facing important public exams, just to be able to put them in context and to uh, understand that their worth does not de- depend upon their results. Um, there's a good scene in a hotel bar in the James Bond movie Skyfall when a woman whom Daniel Craig is trying to protect stares directly at him and says how much do you know about fear to which he replies staring equally levelly at her all there is not many film dialogues stay in my mind uh, but that one did the young woman has evidently suffered a great deal during her short life she's been controlled and exploited by a criminal gang Even as she and Bond sit at the bar, a sense of foreboding is gathering as dark forces begin to move. Soon afterwards, if I remember rightly, various hoods try to kill Bond, though he is more than a match for them, of course. And as the tension mounts before they attack him, what is remarkable is that he is so calm. He just commands the screen. It's one of the best cinematic moments I've ever uh, witnessed. The scene so draws us in because it's not about how competent Bond is at looking after himself. That's a bit of a given. Rather, it is about one who has experienced in his own life by his own admission and has now mysteriously mastered it. And that played upon my mind after I had left the cinema um, and made me intrigued and made me want to think further about it. Is it really possible that we can master fear? Surely all of us are afraid at different times in our lives. I know that um, some uh, students who may well be listening to this broadcast are afraid at the moment. Let's just put say it how it is. You're afraid that you will not give of your best in the forthcoming exams, and that as a result, your long-cherished hopes of achieving those grades which are necessary if you are to move to your desired next stage of life will be thwarted That is a real cause for concern. It's necessary to state things as they are. You are facing the appalling prospect of failure, which is less appalling as you get older, but when when we're young, it's particularly awful. It wouldn't help if somebody like me were to try to minimise the significance of the challenge facing you. I also know that you, unlike any students before you, are trying to, having to take public exams in the sixth form without having taken GCSEs in the normal way, which would have in part prepared you for this step. I I wouldn't be surprised if you are worried by the fact that you've simply not had the chance to develop as fully as you would have wished the skills of concentrating under pressure. You might well feel that the whole situation is somehow unjust. I'm blessed with quite a few young people in the parish with whom I've discussed these things and I I just know that the stress is real 
you might even feel, and I wouldn't blame you, angry and resentful that you find yourself in this position. And if you are going through this, I hate to think how your poor parents are faring as they try to support you at this time. I think, dear young people, that I am quite well placed to help you because I am one of the biggest stress heads that I know. In fact, all those years ago, when I was your age, I went into complete meltdown in a very important exam. So in a way, perhaps I'm not the person to be giving this talk, but nevertheless, I'll press on. It was a practical criticism paper for English literature, I remember. I've always liked reading, and to this day, I enjoy looking at sentences and teasing out meanings from them and drawing connections with other phrases in the same piece. But on this occasion, I was so desperate to succeed. It seemed like the whole of my life depended upon it. I'm getting stressed simply remembering the moment that my mind simply wouldn't operate as I gazed at this rather complicated poem. I couldn't think of the first thing to say about it. In fact, it struck me as being complete gobbledygook. Five minutes, ten minutes passed, half an hour, and I could scarcely write a thing. And what I did write seemed pathetic and unsophisticated and embarrassing. This, at the age of 17, I think I was, was to have been my moment to prove myself, my glorious entry into adulthood. And I discovered that I had become paralysed by fear. And frankly, I hated myself. That lunchtime, I trudged home a broken 17-year-old. I couldn't think how I could ever experience joy again. I had been put to the test and I had been found wanting. When I got home, though I'm ashamed to say it now, I found some small, ignoble satisfaction in impressing on my dad, God rest him, how poorly I had performed, so that he would be as disappointed in his hopes for me as I was disappointed in my own hopes for myself. That was immature of me. I was only 17. I forgive myself now, but it was, it was um, ugly. And then something lovely happened that transformed the ugliness. My dad suggested we go for a drive in the Dales. We had been there on a number of times when I was younger, and I associated the area with carefree walks and an unhurried time together as a family. He drove me, if you know the Dales, you'll picture it as I'm speaking of them, to Burnsell and Grassington. I said hardly anything. I was so unhappy. And he showed his respect for my situation by hardly saying anything either. But I knew why he was doing it. And I loved him for his sensitivity in reaching out to his hurting son, who was standing fearfully on the brink of adulthood in this very simple way of driving me. And that silent journey did the trick for me. I had another couple of exams in English literature to sit. And now I was no longer afraid. I felt that I had ruined my chances by my failure in the practical criticism paper. And that strangely freed me to give as well as I could. I was no longer desperately trying to impress. I didn't need to because I had so uh, failed to impress anybody in the first paper, I was rather seeking to engage with the questions in as good a fashion as I could manage because I was wanting to demonstrate to myself that I was capable of giving as good account of myself as my limited skills allowed. And it was that embracing of my limitations that was contributed to bringing me peace. I actually enjoyed doing the other two papers, I remember. 
looking back. At one point, I thought, look at me. I am no longer afraid. Ah, oh, and it is only in recalling those moments now that I have become aware of something which had previously escaped me. The reason that I was able to engage anew with a task which had formerly overwhelmed me was precisely because my father had expressed his love for me whilst I was in the darkness of shock and depression. I still wanted to do as well as I could, but I had now glimpsed the reality of who I was more fully than before, and that had brought me peace. I think that probably I had become so self-regarding that the only way that I could ever imagine discovering peace was through sustained personal achievement. I felt that I needed others' applause if I was to feel happy. Only others' admiration of me could confer on me an awareness of my own significance. And I began to become aware, having experienced the love of my father in that very delicate manner, that all of this is nonsense. It's very natural that in our late teens, we should become self-absorbed. We might describe this as a necessary part of our psychological and emotional development. So much is changing in our lives and at such a rapid play pace that we need to give the time to taking in everything that is happening in our lives. And during these years, it is very easy, perhaps indeed inevitable, for us to associate personal worth with success, however precisely we or others might understand that to be. But my worth does not depend on my grades. We need to acknowledge this fact head on. If we don't, we will live in a state of unreality, which will be characterised by perpetual fearfulness. We will think, well, thank goodness I have done all right in that exam. But if I fail the next one, that will prove that I am simply a complete loser who has failed to build on previous achievements. In this state of unreality, the time can never come when we can feel relaxed. We will be constantly prone to bitter self-excoriation. Right, well, we've gone down into the, the valley of darkness there. And if any of you have struggled with exams, you'll know exactly what I've been talking about. In the second part of this little talk, I'm going to explain how we emerge from that valley of darkness and experience the joy of knowing that God is there helping us and uh, assisting us in our personal development. But in the meantime, I think it's time for a, a bit more music. I'm 
that is Red Rocks Worship, Not Afraid. This is Credo on Radio Maria, and tonight we have Father Monsignor Paul Grogan. Father Monsignor, which which do I which can we go for you? Well, I love it when people call me Monsignor, but that's only because it feeds my ego. So I prefer. <laughs> Uh, whenever I get my doctorate, which will come one day, I, I, I think I may do the same. Like, no, 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 Dr. Helena. <laughs> so, Monsignor Paul, I will let you continue on to part two of your talk about being not afraid. Well, I was, I was saying just before the music that we can get into a, a real pickle and indeed um, a state of self-loathing when we are not uh, matching our expectations um, of our exam success. And, and even when we do succeed, perhaps in an exam, then we're afraid that we won't succeed in the next one. And goodness, it's it's awful. And if we find ourselves in this situation, that means that the devil, the father of lies, has got one over on us. Yes, we need to bring the devil into this because he likes to remain in the background, silently poisoning our minds and robbing us of peace. He hates us because God our father loves us and he wants to stop us from flourishing he is expert at confusing us and causing us to get trapped in destructive thought patterns. This is what he is trying to do uh, with young people facing public exams this summer. He whispers slyly in your ears, you need to work hard if you are to impress people. And you think, fair enough, I like impressing people, I'll work hard. And then he draws your attention to the fact that another student is better than you at a particular subject. Work harder and then you'll be able to get better grades than he does, he whispers. Fair enough, you think. There's no harm in a bit of honest competition. And then, then the devil points out that however hard you work, it seems that you will never be able to match this other student's grades. He puts such pressure on you that friendly rivalry becomes suffocating envy. And then the devil invites you to consider how it is that you are so hopeless. And he offers you a way out of your self-recrimination, namely any activity which offers you a temporary high, all of which are addictive and pull you down. And then he leaves you in your unhappiness, glad to have frustrated, at least for the moment, God the Father's plans for you. You'll be able to tell by the authoritative way that I'm recounting this story that I've been through this myself. Indeed, fearfulness and envy continue to be part of my life, which is a bit shocking given that I am a priest of 28 years. Sometimes, ridiculously, I get so anxious about doing something that I am well capable of that I feel effectively paralysed. And sometimes another priest can seem so accomplished, I could name names, but I shan't, whether that be because they are holy or because they are organised or a good speaker or because they are visionary or whatever, that I do not feel happy that such men exist. I just feel miserable that I am not more like them. I would have hoped that I would have made more progress by this stage in my life, but I am sad to report back 40 years on from where you are, that my personal development has been, in some respects, deeply disappointing. And there I've said it. Yeah, here is the thing. Increasingly, when I veer into unreality, becoming needlessly anxious or comparing myself without reason to others, I'm aware of what is happening. I'm aware that the devil is robbing me of joy through persuading me to denigrate myself. And each time that I realise what is happening, well, it's very similar to how I felt a few years ago when Bradford City defeated Chelsea 4-2 in an FA Cup tie, having been 2-0 down. And Chelsea's then-manager, Jose Mourinho, 
went into the Bantams dressing room and shook the hands of each of the Bradford City players. In other words, it's a moment of high relief when I become freshly aware of my capacity to move forward in my life, to become always more the man whom God my father created me to be. Me won the devil zero. The more I reflect upon my own relationship with fearfulness, the clearer it is becoming to me that the apprehension that some students may currently be experiencing in the run-up to these public exams is not something that you simply have to deal with and move beyond, but rather it's a golden opportunity for you to entrust yourself more completely to the protection of your Father in Heaven. In other words, it's a religious moment. Sometimes I know it feels as if faith is at a remove from our ordinary lives, but in fact our relationship with God is revealed in all the small circumstances of our everyday lives. God is at work in our ordinary human experiences. If we just take the time to discern his presence, and the way in which we discover God in these circumstances is to know when, in the midst of all the challenges which we are having to confront, we feel affirmed and encouraged. God our Father is on our side, and he is at work in the depths of our being, through the action of his Holy Spirit, helping us to make progress. If we are to consider what is going on in our lives at the moment then, as we search for God's hand in the personal history of each one of us, we cannot but be aware of the impact of the crisis in the, that the Ukraine is having on us. Many young people in particular have been afflicted by a sense of helplessness and they felt disoriented by the sharp manifestation of evil which Russia's invasion constitutes. It may have felt strange to be so deeply affected by something which is happening on the other side of the continent of Europe, but the fact that the crisis is weighing upon us all with a peculiar intensity is undeniable. What is also undeniable, however, is how the heroism of so many Ukrainians has become a source of hope for us who are living so far away. They have put to one side any fear that they may be experiencing at the prospect of fighting such a well-equipped and ruthless enemy, and they are applying themselves to the task in hand of defending the nation. As I have read some of the stories of the Ukrainian soldiers, I've recalled another scene in a film which greatly struck me when I saw it a number of years ago. It's called Of Gods and Men, and it recounts the last days of a community of Trappist monks in Algeria in the 1990s. They find themselves caught in an unenviable situation. An authoritarian government and an Islamist revolutionary movement are locked in a bitter and bloody conflict, and both suspect the monks of being sympathetic to the other. Several of the monks think that they ought to get out of Algeria and return to France, their homeland. But in the end, despite their misgivings, they discern that they can best serve Christ by continuing to give witness in this deteriorating situation. Each of them undergoes a new personal conversion as they struggle interiorly with the awfulness of their situation. At one point, one of the monks realises that he is no longer afraid. He is chatting to his religious superior and at the end of the conversation, he stands up and says, I am free, make way for the free man. And then he leaves the room. He couches his words humorously, but the significance of what has happened within him is obvious for all to see. Through an extraordinary gift of grace, he has been profoundly changed. And then only yesterday I was speaking in a Zoom call with some parents of children who are preparing for the first sacraments and I heard another story which was a source of encouragement to me. One of the mothers shared with us an incident involving St. Therese Benedicta of the Cross who was a noted philosopher in the 1920s and 30s in Germany and who was a Jewish convert to Catholicism, becoming a Carmelite sister. She was arrested and sent to Auschwitz where she died. One eyewitness recounted that while she and so many of her fellow Jews were in the cattle trucks, which were used to transport them to Auschwitz, 
she remained serene despite the dreadful circumstances. She offered hope in a situation of hopelessness. While fear very naturally engulfed others around her, her trust in God was such that it was a proof against fear. Hearing that story, I was reminded of the words of another saint and a man who had a great devotion to St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, John Paul II. He had such a big impact on my generation of Catholics when we were your age. When he emerged onto the loggia of St. Peter's, having just been elected Pope, his first words to the world were, do not be afraid. It was electrifying. He was a man who was all too conscious of man's inhumanity to man, given that he had lived through the bloody carnage of the Second World War and the subsequent slow-burning terror of Soviet occupation in his homeland. Still, he declared, do not be afraid. It was the phrase that the Archangel Gabriel used when speaking to Mary at the Annunciation, that Jesus used with Peter when he called him to follow, and that, and that recurs again in both the Old and the New Testaments, again and again. God is always calling those who follow him not to be afraid. For through his death and resurrection, our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, God has conquered the kingdom of darkness that threatens us. Now Christ is all powerful. And we remember that, especially in Eastertide. And crucially, he extends his protection over us. Our faith is as simple as that. To conclude, a rather nice story. Years after my father had shown his love for me by driving me around the Yorkshire Dales, offering me gentle support in the midst of my disappointment at how my exam had gone, I had the opportunity to show my love for him by driving him along the same route. He had just been diagnosed with terminal cancer and was now unable to drive. We stopped at one of our favourite pubs and had lunch. But both of us were afraid at what the coming months held for my dad. The nature of our conversation at that pub is too intimate and important for me to describe to others. But suffice it to say that it was a moment of grace. And in those precious minutes, I became especially aware that God was gently drawing each of us to himself. And that indeed, there is no longer any reason for any of us ever to be afraid. And now we'll have a bit more music. share your reflections or your questions to Monsignor Paul Rogogan. 
Now, listeners, this is a community here, and one of the beautiful parts of Radio Maria is this dialogue. Perhaps you'd like to share with Monsignor Paul or with the listeners a situation you were in. And when once, hopefully, you let the trust of the Lord lead you and guide you. The number is 012233755564. Do give us a call and share your story or ask your questions. 012233755564. This is Radio Maria and this is Credo. Today we've been listening to Monsignor Paul Grogan give his lovely advice, his stories and his memories of exam time and finding a way to trust in the Lord, to embrace his limitations, which brought him peace. Now, Monsignor Paul, why? I'm a mom. I've got a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a three-year-old, and they haven't had to take any of these crazy exams. But as a confirmation leader, I have seen 
the young people tremor, stress. I need to not do anything. I need to not live my life anymore. I need to revise, revise, revise. Why? Why would we need to? Why would the Lord let us? Well, I know in like the reading today and, and many times, unless uh, a grain of wheat falls and dies, it won't bear fruit. It won't grow. Why is that so necessary to have these experiences? I, I know, I know exams won't kill us, <laughs> but, but why do we need to have, why, why have these, why does the Lord need us to have that time in that darkness or that fear or, or that time? <laughs> well, I think um, it's very nice um, to uh, achieve something. Um, uh, and, um, a good Catholic word is and. So it's good to, to, to both achieve uh, and to uh, refrain from considering that we are the, uh, our worth depends upon our achievement. It's getting a, a just balance. Because um, when we uh, achieve something, um, it, it makes us aware of our own importance. So um, we've got two primary schools in this parish. And it's just delightful when uh, a child um, uh, today, oh, yes, uh, some children served at a, a mass and they, they, they hadn't served before, nor did they come to Sunday mass. But under my uh, tuition and giving them the, the odd uh, sotto voce comment across the sanctuary, they managed to do the job very well. And as they were returning home, the teacher um, very delicately said, uh, very well done. And she said, and you're getting uh, five uh, merit points when you go back to class and they beamed and i'm not quite sure of what, what the system of merit points that applies but it, it clearly it's a way of um, rewarding the children publicly for doing something uh, which is estimable and um that, that i remember you know when i was a child just um oh i suppose bringing home my report book if i got a, a good report and then getting a, a hug from uh, from my mum and um feeling that it was I was able to demonstrate that I wasn't messing around in class. Um, well, I did that as well, but the, some of the times that I was uh, concentrating and that this was a, a public recognition of that, um, which uh, provided a, an environment of, uh, uh, I suppose, of approbation of me. That, that made me flourish like a like a flower, and I thought, gosh, yes, I am somebody, uh, and I, I I have a uh, I have something to give. And w were we not to have any means of uh, measuring uh, personal development in that way, then I think that that would adversely affect the psychological development of of our children because they, they wouldn't have the, um, the 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 markers. Um, that would uh, help them to see um, that they were making progress. Uh, I remember also Cardinal Hume, whom some of your older listeners will remember, um, and he was a, a great housemaster um, at um, Ampleforth College up in our neck of the woods, um, and subsequently became the Archbishop of Westminster. But he once said uh, in one of his writings that the, the art of being a good teacher is to find that which the, the child is excellent in, and then to help them to engage um, with that. Um, so then that was a beautiful, uh, uh, fatherly 
um, uh, understanding. So that, uh, and that must be a challenge for parents. And um, but part of the the skill of being a good parent, I would think, um, that um, you have to uh, look at your children and then help them to play for their strengths and, and affirm them as and when appropriate. And and you know, I've thought of a very personal memory um just as i've been going on like this and it's um about i was talking about my dad uh, and about his death but my mum died when i was a boy and uh, and uh, my uh, brothers uh, both very clever <laughs> and I'm, I'm the middle son and i remember once going into my uh, mum's room in the latter stages uh, of her life and um, I was saying I'd, I'd kind of brought something, uh, I can't remember, I'd, oh, that's right, I, I had a, a role in a play. And so I, my mum, realising that she would never see me uh, in the play, asked me to f perform the, the, um, what I had to say in front of her, in her bedroom. So I did. And um, and I was, although I, I wasn't fully aware of this, the gravity of the situation, nevertheless, I was very aware that this was an important moment for both of us. And um, and then she applauded Julie, you know, as a good mum would. And it was, um, she, I could see the, the pride in her eyes in what I was doing. Um, and then uh, she said, um, you know, uh, we've got talking about work, uh, academic work. And she said, it doesn't matter at all, you know, uh, how you do at school. Um, it, uh, the, the key thing is that you do your best and that you apply yourself. Now, that is um, kind of um, a, 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 a very obvious thing to say. And, you know, it could be um, uh, mundane almost. But given that the situation, I suppose that given my mum knew that I was um, well, as mums do know their children, don't they? Uh, comparing myself against my brothers and feeling uh, a little unequal to their uh, academic achievements. What she said was was beautifully directed uh, and helped me to uh, just to step aside from needless uh, comparison of myself in areas with them which I would always uh, do less well than they in. Uh, and and in, instead to think, yeah, but what am I good at? How can I shine? Uh, and and I'm sure, though I've never thought this before, before uh, describing this moment to you now on the radio, but I'm sure that God was working through my mum uh, at that moment, helping me to, um, uh, alleviating me um, of the, um, uh, the, uh, uh, Helping, guiding me away from the avenue of useless self-comparison, which could lead only to unhappiness. Oh, thank you for sharing that, Monsignor. I just want to go give my boys a cuddle right now. Oh. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> oh. Listeners, do you have any memories or any reflections that you would like to share? Any encouraging words for any other listeners out there or parents out there or grandmas or uncles? Any words of encouragement that you'd like to share or any questions you'd like to ha give to, to Monsignor Paul? The number is 01223-375-564. You shall cross the barren desert 
have a gentleman that uh, is coming calling in from Cambridge we've got Charles hello Charles uh, hi Helena hi I, I thought I mean a lot of what's been said actually rings rings bells so I thought I'd share some of my failures and I was um I, I was quite a good student and I was preparing to go to medical school uh, but I was doing the physics A level, and, and I had one of those panic moments in my physical, uh, my in the practical session, and I failed it. And my grade was not good enough to get me into medical school, and so I had to retake physics, which was quite a humiliation because you know they saw me as a potential Oxbridge candidate, and there was I facing time to retake A level physics. But as, as a result of it, I became not too bad at physics, and in my medical career, of course, I ended up being. Um, uh, radiation um, doctor, and so I took physics to a much higher level. And sometimes I reflect that if I hadn't had to take the physics A level, um, I would never, I never, you know, I would never pursue that career. So sometimes God moves in mysterious ways. And then the other thing that occurred is, you know, during during my professional exams, often I had to retake exams because I, I I used to get nervous. But I, I became when I. When I was a senior consultant, I was um, I was often given those junior doctors who were struggling with exams because they thought, well, I'd struggled a bit. So, you know, and it gave me more compassion. And I remember at my retirement last year, a senior doctor staying, standing up and saying it was because I'd mentored him through his you know, exams that he'd got to where he was. And but, so, so it just shows. Sometimes you have to be pruned to grow, is my message, I suppose. Thank you for that, Charles. Um, yeah. I've seen your report. Do you want to <laughs> say, oh, but do you want to have any response to Charles? No, I, I, how lovely. And it, it's quite providential that the um, gospel reading uh, in today's Mass was precisely that um, quotation from John 15 that I am the branches and, and you are the vine I am the vine and you are the branches and those that bear fruit the Lord prunes so that they will bear more fruit and um, <laughs> I, I find that very uh, a very moving story and um, it, it just kind of talks about both of uh, our need to to pick ourselves up and then to face the situation squarely and then just in a very gradual way to deal with it 
um, as the, the consultant we just mentioned there. Um, but uh, also what struck me was that we become more empathetic precisely through failure because we, we wouldn't be able to um, engage in a, a, a helpful way to somebody if we were simply uh, sitting up on a mountain um, which has been uh, constructed by uh, perfect successes all through our lives. We, we wouldn't um, be able to connect with people in um, the uh, issues, the, the vicissitudes that, uh, that, that they experience. Uh, it, it just uh, It's another indication for me uh, of the, the value of expecting failure in our lives in some of the things that we engage in and then recognising that failure is, uh, can be integrated into our lives and uh, is an essential part in our integral personal development. Thank you so much. Thank you, Charles, for calling. Okay. Bless God bless. Yeah. All right. We also have a caller, uh, Anya, who is studying this very night. I, shame on you for being distracted and listening to Radio Maria. But Anya's calling from Cambridge. Anya, you're on, the, you're on air. Um, I just wanted to say thank you for the talk about exam stress at the moment. It means so much to me and I'm sure lots of other students going through the same thing right now. It's very stressful, but it's nice to know that people at Radio Maria who are praying for us and looking out for us. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you preparing for exams at the moment, Anya? Um, I am, yeah. I was actually studying for my history exams when mom came in and was like <laughs> put this on your computer <laughs> to work it out <laughs> what a great mum and has the has my words helped you to put things in context a bit better yeah no it has there are lots of people say it but it's so hard to really comprehend it when just what everyone is thinking about now is just exams it's so hard to put things into perspective but it's good to have some input. That's not just teachers and parents. And <laughs> <laughs> Anya, you are, your worth does not depend upon your exam results. And in the course of your life ahead of you, when you fail in ways that we, where you would have wished to have succeeded, you will learn things which you would not have learned had you simply succeeded. Oh, um, Anya, I do dare you because there's pl probably loads of things on your history exam where people have failed. So you can quote, oh, in your exam. Oh, and then Monsignor Paul Grogan once said, failure can be an essential part of our development. <laughs> <laughs> God Thank bless you. you, Anya, and God bless your exams. And, and, and oh. get rest, get some rest. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, Monsignor Paul, we have run out of time. Could uh, could you give us uh, one last blessing in prayer to end our programme? Heavenly Father, we ask you to be with all the young people who are preparing for public examinations at the moment in our country. Uh, fill them with an awareness of your closeness to them. Through the action of your Holy Spirit, take away anxiety from them so that they're able calmly and in a measured way as best as they can, according to their intellectual abilities that you have given them, to make progress in their subjects and fulfil their potential. 
And God bless all. And we ask, Father, that you bless their parents and help them to uh, say and do that which is best for their children at this stressful time in our families. And may Almighty God bless you, our dear young people, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Monsignor Paul.